Well, good evening, everyone out there in Radio Landia and Podcast Landia. It's Russell Cobb with History X, the show about what they didn't teach you at school on the mighty, mighty CGSR 88.5. I hope you're keeping warm and cozy in your little quarantine bubble. It's pretty much all we got for the next few weeks. So why don't we take a tour into some history deep cuts? You know, last time on this show, it's been a couple weeks, we were exploring the quote unquote surrender of the Pappas Chase Reserve. And I say quote unquote, and I'm, yeah, I'm making those little finger gestures in the air, scare quotes, you call them, because there's a lot to that word surrender that we're going to be exploring this time on the second part. Uh, you're going to hear all kinds of things you probably didn't know about the Papa's Chase Band and maybe a few things you did know about Frank Oliver. Uber villain, Frank Oliver. Yeah. If you didn't hear part one, let me just kick this off with a little recap. So I reached out to Dr. Dwayne Donald at the University of Alberta. He's a colleague and yes, oh, by the way, I probably didn't mention this on the first part. He's a former basketball teammate of mine. I wanted to talk to him about this surrender of IR-136 because not only is he a scholar of that era, he's also a descendant of the Papa's Chase Band. And if you didn't know, the Papa's Chase Reserve actually occupied a big chunk of what is today South Edmonton, including Southgate Mall going all the way east to Millwoods. Now, Dwayne, he's... Um, been looking into this for quite some time and he had a lot to share and uh, so I asked him how and why land that was set aside by treaty was surrendered only a few years after the reserve was established it took a while to establish it it was surveyed and then within about 10 years it was gone and yeah 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 I know white settlers stole land all over North America and there's really nothing unique about that trend and in the late 19th century, it was a particularly egregious time. The railroad was coming, oil was being discovered, and guess what, your host, he's from Oklahoma, an entire state that was swindled very swiftly, very brazenly. But listen, I think it's important to know the stories, the very gory details of the stories, the who's, what's, why's, where's, and how's, because that's the opposite of whitewashing history. If so much of history is myth-making, grandiosifying, I just made that word up, it's important to know exactly how the sausage got made. And in part one, we learned a lot of the backstory, which was that the Papas Chase were not really a fixed political entity in the way that we would think of today, but rather they were a band of people who followed a powerful, important, charismatic leader named Papasteo. Papa's Chase, by the way, means woodpecker in Cree. So Dwayne walked us through the cosmopolitan nature of a Miskwachiwaskaigon, what we would today call Edmonton, a kind of a crossroads and gathering place for the Plains Cree, Blackfoot, Nakota, other indigenous nations, later the Métis, and yes, traders when the fur trade came and the fort was established. There was at least in Dwayne's telling a somewhat equal footing between the people doing the trading. And that was before 
the eradication of the buffalo and multiple smallpox epidemics. But you, you probably know that terrible story. So let's just zoom in on the Papa's chase. So what Dwayne was telling us was that Papa Steo, he was down south following the last herds of the buffalo around the time Treaty 6 was being negotiated. And he considered what the queen had to offer and came back and accepted the deal. So at that point, the reserve is being set aside and he had requested one piece of land and was given another. And it was almost immediately apparent to him that the amount of land, well, there wasn't quite as much as was promised. So that's where we were. Now let's get back to Dwayne Donald. You're listening to CJSR 88.5 FM, the mighty, mighty community radio station from Amiskwichi, Waskaigon, on Treaty 6 territory, Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. What I learned, you know, is that uh, right here where we are, right here in this area, right along the south side of the North Saskatchewan River, this is the land that he asked for initially, Papa Steele. This is where he wanted the reserve to be. Um, but that request was denied, uh, presumably, I guess, because uh, the riverfront property was considered too valuable to give up in that way, especially in this area here, because there was kind of an awareness that Edmonton was growing and was, you know, going to continue to grow. And Strathcona as well was, was starting to grow then. And so the argument was that they didn't want the reserve to be in the way of the growth of the city. So what I, the way I understand it is that the reserve, the surveying of the reserve was in limbo for several years, three years, I think. And there were different negotiations that went on that involved Papa Steo and uh, his requests for, for a reserve for the people as had been promised. And uh, finally the reserve was surveyed. And what we know is that there were uh, the people in charge uh, reluctantly agreed to have the treaty uh, or the reserve surveyed. And uh, one thing that happened that's been documented is that the reserve was uh, eight square miles smaller than it was supposed to be based on the, side, the number of families that were identified through the census. So based on the number and the formula for a treaty, there should have been 48 square miles, but apparently there was only 40 square miles that was surveyed th for the reserve. And, the story is that Papa Steo pointed this out. He was aware of this discrepancy and he wanted to know why it was smaller than it was supposed to be. So um, after it was surveyed, uh, what I know is that the people tried to live on the reserve, but uh, it was very difficult because they didn't get any support. You know, at this time, rations were very important uh, as they made the transition to a different way of living. And this has been documented by Canadian historians too, is that the Papa Chase people didn't get any rations. And this didn't just happen here. There are other communities on the, you know, on the prairies that also didn't get rations uh, for different reasons. Obviously, it's a form of coercion, right? But the other thing is that the Papa Chase didn't get any um, training or any equipment on how to grow their own food, you know, whether it be cattle or through farming. Uh, and gardening, so uh, made it impossible for them to live on the reserve. 
because they had no way to support themselves. So as you would expect, the Pawpaw Chase people scattered. Um, they went to different areas to, to try to find something to eat. And some of them, you know, moved to other reserves in this, in this area here, this Edmonton area. And it's true that if you went to these different indigenous communities, First Nations communities around this area here we call Edmonton, you will find people who are also Pawpaw, from Pawpaw Chase descent. And they'll, you know, they can talk about that. You know, just as an example, at Muskekosek, Enoch Cree Nation, just on the west of the city, there's a pretty large section of that community that claim Papashi's uh, descent. Right? And so they scattered as a way to survive. Uh, so probably after about maybe eight or ten years of this reserve being in limbo and people trying to live there but not being supported in doing so, um, the government decision in different ways to uh, expropriate the land was kind of ramped up. And if you look at the, you know, the archival material, you know, it's all there, the case is all there. And this was a program that was picked up, uh, you know, by the Canadian government across the prairies to try to reduce the size of First Nations communities, the reserves. They were considered them too big. They took up too much land. And so there were a lot of reserves in the prairie region that were reduced during this era. But specifically to, to expropriate the whole of the Pawpawshees Reserve was, was targeted. And the, the argument was is that the people weren't living on that land, so obviously they didn't need it or they didn't want it. And so um, I guess through the legal means, one of the things they had to do was get some kind of consent for the removal of this reserve. Uh, from the Pawpaw Chase people and so apparently they found three men living at Enoch Cree Nation who somehow agreed to this and so with this signature they had they they expropriated the land. Do you know how they could have how they what the mechanism was or what the machinations that were going on there to get them to sign something that would give away lands? I assume the ones that benefited uh, or signed benefited somehow could have been some kind of bargain that took place for it, right? But yeah, these three men was used, their, their signatures were used to justify removing the reserve. And so that's what happened. It was expropriated and uh, the land was auctioned off. And the other thing that's important, I think, to add in terms of History X anyway, is that the, you know, the group of men considered the founding fathers of the city were the ones that benefited the most from the sale. You know, they had their their own uh, way of, of controlling those sales and getting their own. You know. Frank Oliver got a, owned a big track of land that he sold from the reserve. Right? How were How was it that after the the surrender of the reserve, how did that land end up in private hands? in the Frank Olivers of the world? Yeah, I guess just through their exercise of, of you know, power and influence over the law and the, you know, the ability to uh, secure se sections for themselves that they then subdivided themselves, right? Uh, that's what I know about that. That's how it went down, yeah. Who else, do you know who else we're talking about here? Uh, or? There was a guy named Richard Secord, 
there was a, another one, McDougall. There's a school in downtown Edmonton named after him. Those are the few that, names that come to mind. Yeah. Just, they were just businessmen in this area at that time. Yeah. yeah, that was one of the things that we talked about on the second episode that just blew me away was McDougall and Secord. They were, they were sort of the, the real movers and shakers in early, like late 19th century Edmonton and uh, were um, in the really, they made their money on real estate. I mean, because they were technically, they were teachers. They were actually public school teachers, but they were fantastically wealthy. And I think it was from these shady real estate deals. I guess that's why there's a few schools named after them, because they they have that. I thought Richard Secord was also a, uh, he owned a, a big store, a big mm-hmm. like merchandise place. But anyway, yeah, yeah. McDougal and Secord. It was that was the name of the store. Oh, okay. Yeah. They yeah, sold yeah. everything. Yeah, yeah. They they, they outfitted uh, people who wanted to go on the Klondike Gold Rush, knowing full well that they weren't going to find anything. <laughs> <laughs> make it, yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. But they would happily equip them. For their <laughs> uh, what do you think about that term? Actually, that, that that that's a that's an interesting term. Surrender. Is that a technical term? Can you tell us about that? Surrender of the reserve? Yeah, I guess what I can say about that is that um, in terms of treaty, the way I've been taught to think about it is in terms of three layers. Of You can think of them as planes of understanding. And so the first one uh, is, is understanding treaty as like a business deal or a contract. Uh, which is, if any, you know, most people who know anything about a treaty, they think of it as that written document, written in sort of Victorian English that has all these technical legal terms. That's what they consider the treaty. So that's the first plane. The second plane, I think, is is what was actually said by the Queen's representative at the time the treaty was negotiated. And this is something I do with my students, because what he actually said in English was written down in detail. They had transcribers who were there and wrote down and you can read what he said, the transcripts of what he said, and it's very different from what the contract says. Like you, you can even compare them side by side and you'll see he doesn't use words like surrender or seed. He doesn't use that technical language that's in the contract version. He speaks in a very simple way and he speaks in terms of the benevolence of the queen. It's very much uh, as a representative of the queen, you know, he sends the message, you know, that this is a, this is a, you know, an agreement of peace. You know, we're going to work together. So that's the second plane. The third plane is what the people actually heard from the translator, right? And so, this is of course what's remembered in oral tradition, which is this is what they said at that time, and this is how we understood what they meant by what they said. And so these three three planes are quite different, of course, right? But your question gets to that point, like. What does it say in the legal document about surrender or related terms? How was that even represented, if at all, by what the Queen's representative said? And then what did the people actually hear? And I can tell you, because I've listened in the context of Treaty 7 with Blackfoot elders and here, Treaty 6 with Cree elders, is that really in those languages there's no way to express that idea of surrendering land. It's not a... It's a strange concept, and there's no way in the language to actually say that. So that leads them to believe that, of course, the people 
didn't know that that's what was going on because it wouldn't have been expressed to them. The other thing that's been emphasized a lot, which I think is relevant to this point, is that in those traditional governance systems, men took leadership on certain things and women took leadership on other things. And there's this perception that this is a patriarchal society, you know, traditionally. But a lot of things that I've learned led me to believe that it's actually more balanced than that. <clears throat> and so what they say is that men were in charge for the treaty negotiations because they thought it was about peace and friendship. That's what they thought it was about. And so because that's in the portfolio of men as leaders, that's why men were in charge. If they had known that it was about the land, the women would have been in charge. So what they say is that we know that the, they didn't know it was about the land because the women took a back seat. Right? That's the way uh, you know people have interpreted that. And so, yeah, this it's it's. I think it's pretty safe to say that they didn't know that it was about surrendering land. That's fascinating. I didn't know that about surrender. Um. You're listening to CJSR 88.5 FM, the mighty, mighty community radio station from Amiskwichiwa Skygun on Treaty 6 territory, Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Stay right there. What does this knowledge, this story about what should we think or, or how should we start thinking about it as we look at that contemporary landscape? So the visible representation of what we see Edmonton now and what we think of specifically in that area. This knowledge, how does that change that or transform that or inform uh, the way we see Edmonton now? I'm dedicated to um, thinking about the history of colonialism as an extended process of denying relationships. So that, that's the way I would define colonialism. It's, it's, it's an ideology based on relationship denial. And we could think about that in, in lots of different ways. One, of course, would be <coughs> denying relationship you have with people who don't look like you, right, who don't pray like you. But there would be other manifestations of that. And so we're caught up in a legacy of relationship denial, right? And, and I very much view Edmonton still as a as a frontier town, right? It, it's, it's at the frontier of a lot of different things and uh, there's still a lot of those the hangover from relationship denial that, you know, we live with. And so it really hasn't been that long, you know, if you, if you think in more of a cosmological way, <laughs> it really hasn't been all that long since things have changed very dramatically here. So the way I look at it is that uh, there's still a lot here for us to pick up on all of us about uh, what's been missed what have been the consequences of relationship denial and what can that story of the papa Shays people my ancestors what can it teach us about um, um, i guess that the consequences of of accepting that way of being in the world accepting that way of being a human being in that way so for me it's it's all about peeling back those layers attending to those stories and thinking about how do we repair those relationships that have been denied and how do we renew them 
on different terms and uh, you know I very much go to kinship you know that that's a lot of kinship teachings on that and as I think you probably heard <clears throat> this idea of wakoto and, you know is a very important wisdom concept in Cree wakoto and, and it's about um, kinship it's about understanding how humans are related but it's also about uh, understanding more than human kinship right and, and to me you know at at the at the heart of the struggle that the papa chase people have had is uh to me the most damaging thing is is that removal from that kinship network that gave their lives meaning and so the more i mean i guess that's what my work is dedicated to is trying to reestablish that kinship network and helping you know Canadians understand how they're included in that network and so what happens to the Papashis happens to them as well in different ways, right? And so just to just to try to think about relationality in that way, I think is is why that story is so important to me, right? Well, I was actually gonna ask, um, if you think the Papa Chase reserve was still here, can you give us an idea of what you think it would look like? If people know the geography of Calgary, they'll know that there's a Tsutana Reserve is on the southwest edge of of Calgary, and and the city of Calgary has has grown around that reserve, and uh, the city, you know, more and more has tried to had to try to negotiate with that First Nation, and they just have a the ring road, the Stony Trail, they negotiated a big deal so that it could go through the Tsutana Reserve, and so that's the way I imagine it is that uh, very much the way Tsutana is to Calgary, that's the way. Papa Chase would have been here in Edmonton. The city would have grown around it, and there would have been a lot of, I guess, awkward things to try to negotiate. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, similar to the way you know it won't be long that the city will grow around Enoch mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. 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 What about the federal recognition? Um, the Papa Chase band is not federally federally recognized. Is that correct? That's correct. And uh, do you think that that is something that should be pursued and and how and how important is that to you well yeah i guess maybe i'll i'll start by our our late dad you know who uh gave us a lot of direction on that he um he's been passed away for 10 years now and uh you know his guidance to my brothers and i was to is to not think that somehow our lives are going to change if the government recognizes us right his his guidance was just to be who you are live your life the way you know you need to and be proud of who you are and and don't sort of hang everything on on this recognition right and so i followed that myself i mean i'm i'm a proud descendant of the papa chase but uh i don't feel like uh you know that recognition is is that important to how I understand myself, but not everybody agrees with me. You know, that's important to say. We have a chief who's working tirelessly, you know, to have it recognized, and I respect that because there's a lot of members, descendants, who want that, right? And so, but that's the way I look at it. And um, there was a a case that got to the Supreme Court, and it was rejected in 2008. And um, the ruling was it was a statute of limitations that. Uh, it happened too long ago, and, and uh, 
it was kind of irrelevant to the court on that basis, I guess. That was the ruling, which is really hard to understand. But I don't know much about law, but uh, that's what they said. Uh, we're going to go to the gas station, the Baba's <laughs> Chase gas station. Have you been there? And, oh, yeah. and how important is that for... Uh, for the Papa's Chase? Yeah, well, like I said, Chief Calvin Bruno has been working hard for the last few years, and I know it was really important that he was accepted, you know, to participate in meetings of Treaty 6 chiefs, and, you know, he's, he's been allowed to be part of that. But, of course, as with any organization, you need revenue. You need a way, you know, to pay for stuff and, and make things happen. And so... That gas station was part of a donation. I'm not, I don't know all the details on it, and so it looks like it's helping. So that's good. Mm-hmm. And I know there's uh, there's a lot of people that you know are passionate about the Papa Chase case that uh, need some financial support to make things happen. So yeah, I hope it happens that way. All right, so I'm on my way to the Papa's Chase uh, Petro-Canada, and I just put the location in the in, in uh, Google Maps, and we'll see what it says. Head east, then make a U-turn. Okay, doesn't really say anything about Papa's Chase, just says Petro-Canada. Oh, hey, hey everybody. So, okay, uh, I just went to the Papa's Chase First Nation Petro-Canada gas station at 3001 Calgary Trail. And I got like $9 of gas. Um, Went inside. It looks a lot like your average Petro-Canada gas station. It's got all that classic, you know, minimalist red and white with the maple leaf. Um, Inside... They had like a really huge Edmonton Oilers dream catcher and um, some other kind of First Nations merchandise you could get. I didn't really look around too hard. Uh, it's we're in the middle of a pandemic. I didn't want to loiter. But um, on the outside, there was a woman selling this NASCAR approved car wax thing and she buffed my headlights for free. But then it was like 35 bucks and she was wearing this Santa hat and it's kind of cold. And uh, that's probably not part of the story. Anyway, uh, just the takeaway is here we are in a territory that was pretty much swindled from the Papa's Chase band. Um, And a story that unless you know where you're looking or really know, have people who, who are, would tell you about it, you would probably never know. And there in the middle of Calgary trail in bustling suburban Edmonton is a gas station that's now run by the band that was dispossessed of their land. And so, you know, I mean, what to make of that? All I make of that is that if you pay attention to your surroundings and you know, and you proceed with some curiosity around where you live and the histories of it, things will be revealed to you and you will get to know the place in which you, and you will get to know the place you inhabit just a little bit better and have a better appreciation for it. And so that's all. It's been my pleasure bringing you this story. 
the surrender of IR-136. Uh, special thanks to Dr. Dwayne Donald, above all, for taking the time to share these stories with us and to Gabrielle Lamontagne uh, for helping me produce this small series here, this two-part series, and Sabrina Therani for doing a lot of social media and also just for staying with History X and, and uh, always coming up with interesting ideas. And thank you to you for listening. You can find us on Facebook, CGSR History X. Just search that up. Instagram, History X Pod. You can follow me on Twitter, Russell S. Cobb. It's been my pleasure being here with you. Please try to stay safe. Celebrate these holidays, but do it in a sane way. Listen to the scientists, listen to you, the healthcare professionals, and we'll get through this. Take care.